Welcome to Sunday evening worship service here on Memorial Day weekend. We're so glad you're able to join us. Hopefully you came, uh, tuned in tonight, or just tuning in. I um, want you to go ahead and pull out your Bibles real quick and open it up to Acts chapter 21. We're going to be looking at 14 verses here in Acts chapter 21. And if you're just now joining us, or if you have uh, maybe just uh, jumped in during this social distancing season... We are going through, on Sunday nights, we're going through Acts of the Apostles. I'm preaching through it. I'm, this is the, the, actually the conclusion of Paul's third missionary journey. And we're going to see here how Paul wrapped it up. And I think what we're about to see is so powerful and why it speaks volumes to us today amidst such uncertainty. I mean, think about even today. Today's... Uh, Memorial Day weekend, we are remembering um, those that have given their lives for our country, those that have died for our religious freedom, those that have passed away for freedom for us to be able to worship, to be able to work, to be able to have uh, live in a capitalistic society and culture, freedom of speech. And here we are amidst coming out, as of especially even this morning, with our morning worship service, coming out of uh, our first ever worship service after 10 weeks of being shut down uh, or being asked to be shut down by, uh, by the government so that we can contain the coronavirus pandemic. So in many ways, today here on Memorial Day weekend, it's kind of a, a freedom that we're able to come and worship the Lord. But Anyway, I want you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles. Before we read it, I do want to look up here for a map. So you're turning your Bibles right now to Acts chapter 21. Here's a map of Paul's third missionary journey. So where we're at is kind of his last place that he stopped and taught the Ephesian leaders was in a little place outside of Ephesus, 30 miles south, called Miltus. So we pick up here at Miltus. He's going to sail down the Kos, down over here to Patera, down past Cyprus, and he's going to land here in uh, Phoenicia, right here on the coast, Sidon, Tyre. He's going to go on Caesarea and then on to Jerusalem. So we're going to pick up here, and he's going to sail in his boat down to here and go into Jerusalem. Say, so why is Paul going to Jerusalem? Paul feels led by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem for two reasons. Number one, he wants to be there by Pentecost. Remember, we talked about what, what is Pentecost? Pentecost is 50 days. It's seven weeks past uh, Passover. So the time of, it's a time of the Holy Spirit came down. It's called the Festival, the Feast of Weeks. And it's a time that in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came and folks are speaking in tongues and 3,000 people were saved. At Pentecost, great movement of God. That's what it's so when you ever see a church and it's called a Pentecostal church or we had a Pentecost revival. What somebody's talking about is that they're anticipating this mighty move, this mighty uh, movement of multiple people getting saved of, of, of really just prolonged revival that's occurring. You know, we want to have a Pentecost or a revival that occurs when we all, you know, start 
coming back to church, uh, seeing the Holy Spirit move in our lives uh, during uh, coming out of quarantine period. So that there is where we're at. We're starting here in Miltus, and we're going to end up down here in Caesarea in Jerusalem, down in the area of Judea, which is a challenging area for Paul because that's where the church was centrally headquartered, but it's also dangerous for Paul, and he's being warned, we're about to see here, because many of the Jewish leaders, many of the same ones that crucified Jesus 20, 25 years before, now they're wanting to crucify or kill Paul. He's next on the hit list. Why don't they, why do people not like Paul? Paul knows his Bible. Paul is planting churches. Paul is seeing the gospel spread among Jewish people who are receiving and turning to the Lord. So naturally, Paul used to be a Pharisee. The man knows his stuff, and now we're seeing a great, a great movement, um, a great occurrence certainly happen here that Paul's leading. So I want you to turn in your Bibles, Acts chapter 21. After we tore ourselves away from them, we set sail straight to Kos, the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. What it means tore ourselves away. He stayed and he instructed the Ephesian leaders, the elders of their church, the deacons, the teachers, the church plant pastors and planters. Finding a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, Phoenicia, that would be in the northern area there uh, on Syria, north of Israel. We boarded and set sail, verse 3. After we sighted Cyprus, passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria and arrived at Tyre. Since the ship was to unload its cargo there, so he's riding on a cargo ship that was going over there to deliver stuff. Paul pays his fare, he hops on, he's going on. We sought out the disciples and stayed there seven days. So he stays there. He's taking advantage of every opportunity he stops. Paul's focus is on discipleship. He's realizing, hey, if I'm going to be here, if I'm going to be up here in Tyre, I might as well spend some time and teach and instruct the people about the Lord. So he, see, he, goes, to, he goes to the city looking for the Christians. Through the Spirit, they told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And I think that's real interesting. It says to the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to the people of Tyre, saying, you need to tell Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Now, what's tricky about that is a chapter before, Paul said he felt led by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. So, which spirit is leading? Paul is saying, I feel led by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem and bring this offering and preach the good news and give an update to the people there. But we're now 150 miles away, and the people in Tyre say, God, Paul, do not go to Jerusalem. You will die. I think what we see here is the Holy Spirit was telling Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, 
you're going to lose your freedom because this is the last time Paul is going to be free. Paul doesn't die right away at Jerusalem, but what does happen is he loses his freedom to travel away around. Now, he still has several more years left, and he gets a voyage to Rome, but again, he's under, he's under kind of house arrest, and he's still sharing the gospel, but he loses this freedom he has right now to move around. So Paul's being warned, Paul, if you want to do this, if you go to Jerusalem, this will really, in many ways, conclude or end your freedom of just doing of what you want to do. And in many ways, you think about that. When you go and you're serving the Lord, and it might not be on the mission field, it might be in a very secular work environment or a government environment, when you walk into that building or you accepted that job, they sometimes will make it clear that you're not to be soul winning and talking about and pre- presenting biblical values and truths. So there's like a trade-off. It's like he's going into the lion's den. He's going into this area that's very hostile to the gospel. And I think that's very similar for us. We are going into a city, we live among a people that are not very receptive and hostile to the gospel. But that doesn't mean we just don't go. We don't just say, well, I'm just not going to respond. I'm not going to go. But we're aware if you do choose to go, there could be some consequences. You could lose the freedom. You could be arrested. You could be fired. You could be told you can't speak that way anymore. You start getting vocal about Jesus, and then your boss comes along and says, you need to hush. You need to tone it down. Keep going here in your Bible. Verse 5. When our time had come to an end, we left to continue our journey, while all of them, with their wives and children, accompanied us out of the city. After kneeling down on the beach to pray, we said farewell to one another and boarded the ship, and they returned home. So he said his goodbyes, they went on back, and Paul keeps going. Verse 7, when we completed our voyage from Tyre, we reached Poltimus, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. So he went south a little bit. He's, he's inching towards Jerusalem. Verse 9, or verse 8, the next day we left and came to Caesarea. So now Caesarea, this is a very large town. This is a Roman city. It's right there on the sea where we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist. And we're going to talk about who this gentleman is. Philip the Evangelist. You know, we haven't seen him for a while. It's been since Acts chapter 8, since he made an appearance. It's been over 20 years since we've heard from him. But what happened was, Philip the Evangelist, he's one of the seven. Who were the seven? He was a deacon who turned into an evangelist. Well, 20 years later, say, whatever happened to him? Also, not only that, 
Philip the evangelist, he was very well known, and we're going to look at that scripture. He led an Ethiopian eunuch, someone from Africa, to the Lord. He was one of the seven, so he was a deacon, and he stayed with them. So Paul is there in Caesarea. He knew Philip, who did mighty things for the Lord, who was a great evangelist for the Lord. He had a house there in Caesarea, and he went there, and he stayed with Philip. All right, verse 9. This man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. What that means is we're going to look at the gift of prophecy here in a little bit. I'm going to talk about this verse. He had a godly home, a godly household, and what happened with Philip is he raised his daughters in the Lord, and they were also serving the Lord. Verse 10. After we had been there for several days, a prophet named Agabus, you know, all these folks are coming back. Agabus is mentioned nearly 20 years ago in Acts chapter 11. And he prophesied about this great famine that was going to come in Judea. Well, here he comes down from Judea. So what's happened here is Agabus hears that Paul is there in Caesarea, and he's a prophet from the Lord, so he's going to go speak to Paul. So he's going down there. And look what he says. In verse 11, He came to us. He took Paul's belt. He tied his own feet in his hands and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and will deliver him over to the Gentiles. Here's a belt right here. Agabus shows up and he sees Paul. He says, Paul, give me your belt. Bible belts were a little bit different. They were very long. You would just wrap it around. It's almost like more like a cord. And he took that belt in front of everybody. It's probably a church service. And he says, Paul, and he wasn't this, he didn't discourage them. He's just telling them the truth. He says, I want you to know, I want you to be prepared. You're going to Jerusalem, and this is what's going to happen. And he took his belt, and he bound his hands, and he bound his feet. And he says, Paul, for the rest of your days, you're going to be like this. You're going to be bound with the belt. Meaning, you're not going to have this freedom anymore to go around doing what you're going to do. Now, what's powerful about this, Agabus is a prophet. He's warning Paul what's about to happen to him. Paul's about to get locked up. But he did not discourage him. Don't miss that. Nowhere in this verse does he say don't go. Nowhere does he say that you shouldn't do this. He's telling him. He says you can do it. You can go and go to Jerusalem and preach the good news. But you, you will get arrested. You, you will pay ultimately for the price for this. Verse 12. When we heard this. Both we and the local people pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. They're begging Paul. says, Paul, don't go. You're going to die. It'll be the last time I ever see you. Then Paul replied, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm, for I'm ready not only to be bound. We have to remember, Paul, he had been beaten. They thought he had been dead. 
He had been through so much already. He had been rejected. But I'm ready to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Do you know when a man's ready to die, it's kind of hard to stop him. And at this point, Paul is unstoppable. He's going to Jerusalem. Jesus died in Jerusalem. Paul's going to Jerusalem. And it would be an honor in Paul's mind for him to identify with Jesus and die in the same place that Jesus died in. Last verse we're going to see tonight. Since he would not be persuaded. Paul is a stubborn man. You know anybody stubborn? When somebody makes up their mind, this is what they're going to do. We said no more except the Lord's will be done. Paul, if you're ready to die, if you're ready to give your life for Jesus, if you're ready to do this for the Lord, who am I to stop you? You're your own man. You answer the Lord. You know you're going to be bound. You know what's coming. Go for it. Paul is headed to Jerusalem prepared to die. Now, let's go back and talk about Philip. Let's look at some, some interesting facts about the scripture. What do we pull from this? What can we see about Paul, about his mission, his purpose? Well, along the way, he's headed to Jerusalem. He meets several folks. There's some characters that are reintroduced in the book of Acts. One of them is Philip. Philip is one of the first disciples we meet. Philip or first deacons we meet, he's, a, he's known as Philip the Evangelist. And the reason why he's known as Philip the Evangelist, that differentiates him from Philip the Disciple. Jesus had a disciple also named Philip. Here, this Philip is a different Philip. But Philip did something in Acts chapter 8. Now, I have it up here on the screen. Acts chapter 8, verse 34. He was a soul winner. He was preaching. And look at the message he was preaching here. Acts 8.34. He meets this queen going down from worshiping up in um, kind of a money changer, a eunuch who's got an entourage, is coming down with their escort down to Ethiopia from worshiping the Lord in Israel. And what's going to happen is the Holy Spirit told Philip, the evangelist, to go up to that carriage, that cart, and start a conversation. Personal evangelism. And now this eunuch, so the eunuch is the uh, attendant. It's a gentleman who would be caring for, making sure the chief uh, person for this queen and it says here, the eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about himself or someone else? The eunuch was reading out of the book of Isaiah. Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. Philip is sharing the what? The good news. He's witnessing. As they were traveling along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look. There's water. What would keep me from being baptized? The eunuch heard the good news of Jesus, is aware of what biblical baptism is, and now, and now what's happening here, he's asking the question, what, what, what's going to keep me from, I need to receive believer's baptism. I'm a believer. Verse 38. 
So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down in the water, and he baptized him right there. He received a believer's baptism right there. And I think what's powerful about that is there was, he understood the gospel, he heard the good news, he saw the water, and he thought, well, I need to get baptized. What's preventing me from receiving that baptism? And that's a question for us. What's preventing you from being baptized? What's preventing you from being a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ? What's preventing you from living completely for the Lord? Verse 39. When they came up out of the water, so Philip's coming up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. We see there's a celebration that's taking place here. The eunuch, Philip, vanished, but the eunuch continued worshiping and serving the Lord. Do you know, Philip went on to have a couple, four daughters that were known for their prophesying. And we won't turn there, but in Acts chapter 2, verse 17 at Pentecost, it says that your sons and daughters, as a result of the Holy Spirit, will prophesy. And you know, prophecy is a spiritual gift. But in the Bible, there's two types of prophecy. In many ways, what I'm doing right here is prophecy. Preaching the good news, holding up the Bible, saying, Thus saith the Lord, this is what God's plan and purpose for you is. This is prophecy. You're hearing what God says. When you come to church, you want a preacher proclaiming God's word. How shameful would it be? You go into a church and they talk about sports. They talk about how to live a good life. They talk about practical issues. If I go to church, I want to hear a message from the Lord. I want to hear from a man who has spent time in the word of God, who has spent time in preparation, who has spent time preparing in prayer with the message. And the message for this is Philip. His daughters received the gift of prophecy. When's the last time young women, grandmother, mom, teenage girl, that you have prophesied in the Lord? Philip had four daughters that were known as prophets. Now, the fear with that, if you and I go to Walmart, now everything's open. If we were to go to Fayette Mall, I guess, more, more stuff's open. And you meet some young girl, and she tells you she's a prophet, you're, you know, the thoughts that come to your mind might be, okay, she's Pentecostal, she's different, she's weird, like what is she talking about? That's not a phrase we use to describe people. He or she prophesies. But in the Bible, that is what people who were bold, people who held to God's word, people who proclaimed God's word, they were prophesying. There's two forms of prophecy. Here they are. So let's look at them. Because you and I both participate in prophecy. The first one is evangelism. 
Evangelism is sharing the good news. Do you know someone who's lost? Do you know someone to invite to church, to our 10 a.m. worship service? Do you know someone you could hit share right now on Facebook and share this so that they can hear this, this message, how to be saved, how to come to know the Lord, how to live your family and raise your children to be prophets? When you share the gospel or you teach the Bible, you are practicing prophecy. That's what it is. You're sharing Jesus. Every time you stand up, every time you attend Sunday school, attend a worship service, at least a worship service with the Word of God taught, you are participating and listening to evangelism, which is prophecy. If you give out a gospel tract, anytime you're giving out God's truth, you're prophesying. God's truth is what's revealed in Scripture. It's God's message for man. God has a message for you today. He has a message for those this Memorial Day weekend. He has a message for those families that have lost loved ones during this pandemic that we're living in. He has a message for people who are fighting for their life right now. They're sick. They need the Lord. God has a message for them. And the message is Jesus. Jesus saves. There's another form of prophecy. Number two, the literal prediction of future events. When Agabus came up and he took Paul's belt and he bound his hands and he bound his feet, he was saying, Paul, this is what's going to happen to you. I'm not discouraging you. I just want you to know the truth. You will be bound. There's a price that, you will, be, that will be paid for what you're doing. And I think what we see for us is the book of Revelation. All throughout Jesus' ministry, he kept talking about his crucifixion. He kept talking about his time that he's going to be resurrected. Prophecy also involves future events that do come true. And how they come true? Because the Holy Spirit, God, moved a man or moved a woman to proclaim biblical truth that will come in the future. The book of Revelation is prophecy for the future with that. Do you know, we see throughout this entire passage here in Acts chapter 21 about Paul Paul has been told multiple times now, already twice, being warned that he will be bound. He will pay a price with his life. He will lose his freedom. But I have up here on the board, I want you to see this. Paul's chief concern is not comfort. A lot of folks want comfort. During this pandemic, people want comfort. A lot of people here at Memorial Day, they're remembering those that have died fighting for our nation. Those from Afghanistan, Iraq. Even recently, that have, have perished. We're remembering them. They're not even thinking about pandemic, coronavirus. They're thinking about, I lost my loved one, defending freedom. Paul's concern is in our, his comfort or safety or a long life. You know, that's, that's why a lot of times what we think of. Look at that, comfort, financially comfortable, safety. 
We want to be safe. We want to wear a mask. Make sure everyone's staying safe. Wash your hands. And long life. People don't want their life to end early. Nobody wants to end their life unexpectedly cut off too soon. But Paul's that's not his focus. He's not worried about those things. Paul's focus is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. He had a zeroed-in, laser focus towards gospel presentation, and nothing was going to stop him. That is what he was, his, he was set for. He had an attitude that the good news is more important than any of my tri- trials. I want to tell a story about William Carey. William Carey was from England. William Carey was called by God to be a missionary to India. This is in the late 1700s, so it would be the late 18th century. He was a British Baptist. And Great Britain had expanded into, into India. And he felt the Lord leading him to go there and to reach lost people with the good news. So he was talking to some other pastors. And he shared with them a vision that he wanted to take the gospel to the good news, to, of the good news to India. And one of the men told him, one of the other ministers, he said, sit down, young man. You're an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen in India, he will do it without consulting you or me. And that minister was saying, William Carey, you don't need to go to India. God wants to save those people. He can do it solely without us. He doesn't need you or I to be bringing the gospel to the Indians. He can save them without us. Do you know, thank goodness, William Carey did not listen to that other minister in that minister's meeting. He sailed for India and he became the father of the modern missions movement. He took the good news, the gospel, to India, proclaiming Jesus to those who had never even heard the name before. And what if he would have listened to those fellow ministers, those fellow Christians just like him in, in Great Britain, he would not have done that. But thank goodness William Carey listened to the Lord. If God is moving in your heart to share the gospel, to become a missionary, calling you to preach, God's put someone in your heart to evangelize and share the good news, invite to church. You need to obey and listen to the Holy Spirit. Because I promise, there will be plenty of people, the devil will use discouragement and distraction to prevent you from sharing the good news. Last thing I want to put up here on the board. Wasting your life. Wasting your time. Living for all the wrong things. That is what people do today. Do you know anybody who's wasted their two-month quarantine? Do you know anyone who has wasted their life? They've squandered it. Just 
They, they, they just they waste their time. They have, not, they have not chosen to live for the Lord. They've chosen to live for themselves. This is how the devil distracts believers. It's a reality. It's true. And you and I are constantly fighting against this. There is a spirit of distraction all around us. A spirit of idleness. A spirit of wasting your time. A spirit of just not being productive for Jesus. A spirit of not being in prayer to the Lord. And if you're not careful, you will sink and fall into it. And the devil has you. Paul, what I want you to get from this tonight. Paul had such a passion. Paul had such a zero focus. on he was going to die for what he believed in. And I want you to be able to answer this question. Here we are Memorial Day. Memorial Day weekend. Tomorrow's Memorial Day. We remember those that have died for our freedom. Our religious freedom. Do you... Are you... Will you... Be willing... To die for Jesus. If you knew you were going to die. If the Holy Spirit was leading you somewhere. To do something. And in Paul's case. It's going to Jerusalem. And if you knew you were going to die. If you arrived there. You were going to be bound. And you were going to lose all your freedom. Would you continue to go? How much does your faith. Does your walk with the Lord mean? Is it willing to make the ultimate sacrifice? There's many folks that have given their lives for our freedom here in America. There's many folks that have passed away from COVID-19. It's a reality. It's a terrible virus. But throughout the centuries, there's many people that have died as martyrs for the sole reason they were bold in their faith and their love, and they refuse to renounce Jesus Christ. I invite you tonight to be that man, to be that woman. Be a prophet for the Lord. We are here to live for Him above anything else. That's your identity. That's who Christ has called you to be. It supersedes anything else in life. It's the greatest calling in the world. So if God has trained you right now to be an engineer, if God has raised you up to start a new business, if God has allowed you to go to school, when you do those things, whether it's start a business, go to school, or be an engineer, you're doing it for the glory of God. And in Paul's case, he was a missionary. Missionaries don't care about dying. They're ready to die. They're on a mission. The mission does not stop because of hard times. The worship of the Lord does not stop because of the coronavirus. The centrality of the gospel 
and growing in the Word of God does not stop because of a great recession. We push forward. It is an honor to be called a Christian. If you die for Jesus Christ, you are on a list of a long line of other believers that have given their lives. I'm going to invite you to, to pray here. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. This prayer is going to be a twofold prayer. It's a prayer for you to respond to the gospel. Obviously, we're in a time, an internet, internet service here. There's nobody in the sanctuary. And you can't respond physically, but you can respond wherever you're listening to. And I want you to do that. I want you to respond to Jesus. He's calling you. And not only that, I'm going to pray also for those that have lost loved ones. Either to war or to those on the front lines of the coronavirus. They've given their lives. So I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. And we're going to close this with a prayer. I want you to pray along with me if you want to respond to the good news. Dear Jesus, I want you to be my identity. You saved me. You forgave me. Lord, you're mine. God, I give you my life. Lord, please restore my soul. I'm living for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want you to keep your head bowed. Now I'm going to pray for those who are battling this special day of remembrance here on Memorial Day. God, I pray as we remember those on Memorial Day that have died for our freedoms, those that have died and given their lives during this pandemic, those on the front lines and first responders that for trying to save other people's life, they gave their life. Lord, I pray tonight that we will never forget the cost of freedom, not just freedom to worship, but also freedom to be able to go to the hospital. Freedom to have good medicine. Freedom that we can come boldly and worship on Sunday mornings in your house. Lord, I just pray that we never forget that our freedoms that we have, our responsibilities that we have, came at a great cost. Lord, we thank you for bringing us here to this worship service. We thank you for Memorial Day weekend. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to look up. If you responded to the gospel, if you said that prayer, if you want to know more, I want you to message me. Message this church Facebook page. Send me an email and we'll be getting in touch about what it means to follow Christ. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. He has a great plan for his people. He has called you out to serve him. Find your identity with the Lord. I will see you Wednesday night, this coming Wednesday, as we continue our Bible study. I did want to remind you before we, we leave, I appreciate your giving, your financial faithfulness. God has blessed Broadway Baptist Church by you giving online, 
by you mailing in your offering, by you doing text to give, you're able us to continue these broadcasts and able us to see folks from Lexington and beyond hear about Jesus Christ. Thank you.